As I hung back and attempted to soothe him, he grew more violent, saying, "'Come now, do not wait until later. It is better to repent and be forgiven than to defy and be condemned.' Then I tried the opposite of the soothing plan, and told him he was mad, pitifully demented. But he was unmoved and cried, "'If I am mad, it is a mercy. May the gods pity the man who in his callousness can remain sane to the hideous end. Come, and be mad whilst he still calls with mercy.' This outburst seemed to relieve a pressure in his brain, for as he finished he grew much milder asking me to let him depart alone if I would not accompany him. My course at once became clear. He was a German, but only a Rhinelander, and he was now a potentially dangerous madman. By complying with his suicidal request, I could immediately free myself from one who was no longer a companion, but a menace. I asked him to give me the ivory image before he went, but this request brought from him such uncanny laughter that I did not repeat it. Then I asked him if he wished to leave a keepsake or log of hair for his family in Germany in case I should be rescued, but again he gave me a strange laugh. So, as he climbed the ladder, I went to the levers, and allowed in proper time intervals, operated the machinery which sent him to his death. After I saw that he was no longer in the boat, I threw the searchlight around the water in an effect to obtain a last glimpse of him, since I wished to ascertain whether the water pressure would flatten him as it theoretically should, or whether the body would be unaffected, like those extraordinary dolphins. He did not, however, succeed in finding my late companion, for the dolphins were massed sickly and obscurely about the conning tower. That evening I regretted that I had not taken the ivory image surreptitiously from poor Clint's pocket as he left, for the memory of it fascinated me. I could not forget the youthful, beautiful head with its leafy crown, though I am not by nature an artist. I was also sorry that I had no one with whom to converse. Klein's, though not my mental equal, was much better than no one. I did not sleep well at night, and wondered exactly when the end would come. Surely... I had little enough chance of rescue. The next day I ascended to the conning tower and commenced the customary searchlight explorations. Northwards the view was much the same as it had been all the four days since we had sighted the bottom. But I perceived that the drifting of the U-29 was less rapid. As I swung the beam around to the south, I noticed that the ocean floor ahead fell away in a marked declivity, and bore curiously regular blocks of stone in certain places, dispersed as if in accordance with definite patterns. The boat did not at once descend to match the greater ocean depth, so I was soon forced to adjust the searchlight to cast a sharply downward beam. Owing to the abruptness of the change, a wire was disconnected, 
which necessitated a delay of many minutes for repairs. But at length the light streamed on again, flooding the marine valley below me. I am not given to emotion of any kind, but my amazement was very great when I saw what lay revealed in the electrical glow, and yet as one reared in the best culture of Prussia. I should not have been amazed, for geology and tradition alike tell us of great transpositions in oceanic and continental areas. What I saw was an extended and elaborate array of ruined edifices, all of magnificent though unclassified architecture, and in various stages of preservation.